postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising a white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Pastor Marcus here, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. I'm excited for this week because I'm going to be diving into uh, exploring what is hands down my favorite topic of all time, and that is uh, outreach or ministry to the secular mind. Now, I talk about this all the time, and I talk about it from lots of different angles, particularly the local church. I talk about about this a lot from the local church angle. But what I want to do over this episode, and also just uh, a bunch of episodes that will come after this, is um, I want to just kind of switch gears a little bit and start talking directly to you as a listener. Uh, and and as a church member, as a Christian, as as a follower of Jesus, and really wrestling with your personal influence in this space and my personal influence in this space. So not looking at it so much from the perspective of a local church and and the structure or system of a local church, but actually looking at it more from the perspective of a uh, of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus, and what it means for you individually in your personal life as a follower of Jesus to begin to understand and connect with the secular mind a little bit more. Now, there's a few reasons why I'm doing this. Number one, um, the Bible study set on uh, <laughs> Bible study set uh, that I've written for, for studying the Bible with with uh, secular seekers is uh, it's almost done. So it's going to be available soon. I can't look, I can't give you a particular date because it's not like I work 100% of my time on this. This is I do it on the side. Um, so a lot of times I'm just kind of flying, flying off the, uh, what's the phrase flying off the seat of my pants. I think that's the phrase. I don't know. Something like that. But, um, yeah, so I, I honestly, I have no idea like what the release date will be, but it's, it's getting really close. I I reckon a few months and, and we'll be all right. Um, so that's that's getting ready to be released but here's the thing and, and I, I talked about this in the episode uh, last week as well when it comes to reaching the secular mind and I, I want you to understand this and I want you to capture capture this and I want you to never forget this there is no such thing as a bible study set that you can purchase from anywhere on earth including mine that is magically going to connect with and bring secular seekers to Christ it doesn't exist, and it never will exist. And if anybody tells you, hey, mine's the one, just run the other way because it's a lie, okay? When it comes to studying the Bible with the secular mind, what I have found is that the Bible study set is 10% of the work. And this is, and so the Bible study set is important because you, you need a foundation, right? You need something that you can work off of that is meaningful and, uh, and, and that interacts with the categories of the secular mind. And a lot of the Bible study sets that we have available to us 
uh, they don't do that. They assume that the person has a background in Christianity. They assume the kinds of questions that the person is asking. Um, and then they interact with those assumptions. And the assumptions are not bad. They're just, they just don't apply in a secular sphere. So for example, a Bible study set that talks about talks about the Sabbath and, and, and presents the Sabbath as, uh, you know, the Sabbath is the, the seventh day of the week, not the first day. And it places a lot of emphasis on that. Like, that's good. You know, there's people who are asking that question. It's just not secular people. You know, like secular people are not asking the question, hey, is the Sabbath really on Saturday or is it on Sunday? Like, it's not a big question for them. Um, and so what about a Bible study set that talks about the Sabbath from the perspective of existential and humanitarian justice? Now that it interacts with the categories that most secular people are wrestling with today in a much more meaningful way. And, and so that's the point that I'm making is that a lot of our Bible study sets, they're not geared that way. Um, there was a book that came out some years ago and I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, this is a great book and I wish an Adventist would have written it. Um, it's called Sabbath as Resistance. And the, the premise of the book is that Sabbath is this ancient tradition that uh, really... Um, inspires us or calls us to resist things like consumerism and 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 the objectification of humanity or, or the commodification of humanity, and that's that's awesome. You know, like when when you're talking about the secular sphere, those are the kind of questions or, or rather conversations that are meaningful for people. Uh, going back and forth about whether the day is the first or the seventh is kind of like. Uh, <laughs> um, I've never on in my life met a secular person that gave two hoots about that. And that, that that's not to say that it's not important and that there isn't some point in your conversations and your study where they might be like, hey, so how come other people go on Sunday and you guys, you know, like, it might come up here and there, but it's not a big thing. And, and so this is what I'm talking about. And so having a Bible study set that leans toward the, the, the categories that secular people are contending with is going to be helpful because you've got that baseline. However, the set, the set, like I said, is only going to do 10% of the work. It's just the baseline. It's just the conversation starter. The real work, the, the 90% is you. All right? The 90% is you. So if you think, hey, this Bible study set on, you know, designed for studying the Bible with secular peoples coming out and I'm going to get that book and I'm going to use it with my secular friends and they're going to come to Jesus and uh, and that's the end of it. It's I just want to like blow that out of the water right now. It's a myth. All right? You, if you want to reach secular people effectively, you're going to have to work on yourself. And you're going to have to develop yourself and you're going to have to change your language and you're going to have to expand your horizons and you're going to have to adapt and, and contextualize your pretty much reframe your own approach to faith to be meaningful for them so that when you're actually sharing with them, you don't have a Bible study set that's designed to connect with them. But then when it comes time for you to talk, you're talking like a old school, traditional Adventist whose categories don't make sense to them. So you have to change as well if you want this to work. You've got to go through the journey. You've got to do the hard work. You've got to do the reading, the studying, the exploring, the praying, the reframing, the contextualizing, all of it. You've got to do the work yourself. Uh, and so when the Bible study set is released, I, I actually want it to be accompanied with some videos that I'm going to record with each lesson. Um, 
and it's going to be published as a book format, not as the little pamphlets. Um, and, and the bottom line for that is that this particular Bible study set, it, it, it's, it wouldn't work as pamphlets because it's not a doctrinal approach. It's a narrative approach. And with a narrative approach, what it means is that you're building the story little by little from, from before creation all the way, uh, you know, to Jesus returns and New Jerusalem and all that. Um, and, and everything is so like tethered together and intertwined as a narrative that it doesn't make any sense for this particular study set to be released as pamphlets that, you know, almost a pamphlet almost communicates like, hey, if you pull this one out all by yourself, you could use it all by itself. Uh, and that's kind of like the thematic or doctrinal approach to Bible study. That's not what we're doing here. All right. This particular set is narrative based um, because you have to build the story little by little. And I, I can hear some of you saying, but I mean, you know, aren't postmoderns against, you know, um, incredulous of meta narratives and things like that? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But you have to remember this as well. Um, this Bible study set wasn't designed for postmodern philosophers. And it wasn't designed for postmodern ideologues. This Bible study set was designed for secular people, many of whom are impacted by postmodernism, but it was designed for secular people whose hearts have been awakened by the Holy Spirit and they're searching for him. There is at least, I don't know, maybe it's going to take someone way cooler than me, but as far as I'm concerned, there is no way that you can design a product that is going to convince people who are ideologically possessed by postmodernity to reconsider that th those ideas, right? That that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who's out there, who's doing the work, who's sowing the seed, who's softening the hearts. And our job isn't to convince people of anything. Our job is just to journey with them. And so this set has really been designed so that as you interact with secular people, whom the Holy Spirit has already awakened, and and they're on that journey, you've got a baseline that's going to be meaningful for them. And you can go on that journey with them. And usually, you know, once once the heart's been awakened to a pursuit of God, uh, things like incredulity to meta narratives and stuff like that, it's still there, but uh, it's it's nowhere near as intense uh, that you have to spend, you know, a considerable amount of time going toe to toe with that sort of thing. So this set was more designed, um, not as an apologetic tool, but as a as a uh, sort of sojourning tool where you can travel with a, a secular seeker, you can travel together using this as a baseline. But like I said, and I wanna come back to this main point, you've got to do the work on yourself. You can't use the same language, you can't use the same frameworks, you can't use the same uh, conceptualizations um, and, and pretty much overall come at a secular person with a traditional vibe um, and think it's gonna work because you got this book. Like it's not going to work. All right. You got to do the work on yourself. And so over the next few episodes, I want to focus on that. I want to focus on like, what are we actually talking about when we talk about secular people? What does it look like um, when, when we talk about reaching secular people? What are we really talking about here? And, um, and, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I hope that these next few episodes prove to be really meaningful for you in your own journey, right? And, and in your own kingdom building adventure. Now, I want to begin with this. Um, I want I want to begin with a, with a bit of a disclaimer, okay? When I talk about reaching secular people and understanding the secular mind, there might be a bit of a um, a misunderstanding that accompanies those kinds of statements. And the misunderstanding is something like this: that the secular mind is something that 
you can you can sort of understand in a formulaic sense you can figure out its patterns and then you can i guess i don't know the the, the word uh, um um exploit is a bit too strong but essentially you can you can <laughs> you can take advantage of those patterns by contextualizing to them and, and convince people to follow jesus um yeah that's not what i'm talking about at all in fact that entire sentence um makes me want to puke so <laughs> here's here's the bottom line all right i am not a reach the secular people guru uh, a postmodern whisperer if you will now i know i talk a lot about this stuff and i'm really passionate about it but i am not in any way shape or form a guru when it comes to connecting with and reaching secular culture. And I want to make that really clear off the get-go because the reality is in this space, there are no gurus, all right? In this space, there are no gurus. There is no formula. Secularism, uh, and, 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 and in part due to the impact of post-modernity, is extremely fragmented extremely fragmented and so what i mean by that is a secular person in perth is going to be so different from a secular person in in new york and they're going to be so different from a secular person in you know california they're so distinct they're so fragmented their value structures are different their ideologies are different postmodernism does not look the same everywhere you go it's really diverse and so the best that i can say is that in my tiny 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 little sphere of influence i understand people but if i was to be placed in a different sphere of influence if i was to leave perf right now and go to you know to the uk I would, I would have to sit down, I would have to zip my lips and I would have to sit down and spend a good year or two just listening and incarnating and interacting and, and just really getting to know people because the, the, the language and the constructs and the categories are going to be different. And so I want to make that really clear off the bat that what I'm going to share here in this episode it's more like a more like a a general baseline if if I don't even know if I'm comfortable with that but <laughs> um it, it'll give you something it'll give you something to start thinking something to start chewing on but if you really want to reach secular people you have to incarnate with the people who live around you in your particular sphere of influence Whatever city you're in, whatever town you're in, whatever suburb you're in, wherever you are, you've got to incarnate with the people there. And we're going to talk about that because that is like seriously the bottom line, right? Like there is no guru. There is no postmodern whisperer. Don't buy the hype. I know there's people out there, you know, they want to sell books. So they, you know, <laughs> um, they, 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 they kind of market themselves this way. But it's just, it's not true, man. If you really want to reach secular people, stop looking for a formula and start looking for secular people and that's huge because there's so many people and i see them at at, 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 at workshops and conventions all the time they're looking for the formula that's going to reach secular people today and it's like 
they don't even have secular friends, but they're looking for the formula. And I'm just like, please just stop going to workshops and stop reading books and, <laughs> you know, just go make a friend. Please go make a friend and get to know them and listen, right? Don't try and convert them. Just listen and appreciate. Um, so that's my disclaimer. That's my disclaimer. Uh, but as I said before, like, I'm definitely like, it's a huge passion of mine, like, you know, reaching people that the church fails to reach the most, um, which is generally the second, the secular Western individual um, is, is a huge passion of mine. And so what I'm going to share in this episode, uh, there's actually going to be a link in the show notes and also on the blog at the storychurchproject.com. If you look up the, uh, the blog, um, how to reach the secular mind, I think that's the title of the blog. Anyway, let me double check that. My uh, understanding the secular mind, that's, <laughs> that's the title of the blog. Um, and so what, I, what, I, what I'm actually going to be doing is I'm going to be working off of an article that I wrote for the Compass magazine. And this article is titled Reimagining Adventism, Part 1, Adventism and Absurdity. And, and so a lot of the content that's going to be in this episode is really just, um, you know, ebbing out of this article that I wrote for, for the Compass magazine uh, back in 2019. Um, and if you want to read the article in its entirety, then, you know, it'll be, it'll be linked in the show notes and also on that blog link that, uh, that I mentioned. Um, but anyways, moving into our, moving into the meat of what I'm trying to say here today, um, when it comes to reaching the secular mind, I've, I, I'm not only passionate about it from, from an individual perspective, but have, being passionate about it from an individual perspective has kind of given me, I guess, a unique perspective on how we as a church collectively fail to um, meaningfully connect with the secular mind. And if I could boil down the main problem to one one basic um, singularity, it would be this, that in our attempts to reach secular culture with the gospel, a lot of us have begun to see the secular mind as a problem. All right, let me say that again. In our attempts to reach the, 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 the culture, we have begun to see the post-church mind as a problem. And here's the thing. When you see the culture as a problem, people become projects instead of people. And so then what happens is the secular mind becomes this quandary to be resolved, right? It's this, 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 this obstacle, this hurdle, this dilemma. And we as Christians, we got to figure out how we're going to fix this problem of secularism, right? We got to find the thing that we can exploit to get in there <laughs> with the gospel. Um, and, and really fundamentally in a lot of the conversations that I, that, that I'm, I've, you know, been involved in when it comes to reaching the secular mind, it always boils down to this sort of milieu, to this mood, right? To this, to this, um, yeah, just to this sense that the secular mind is a problem and we must fix the problem. And when we fix the problem, then we can reach people. And, and, and this is kind of, you know, sort of blends into this whole idea of looking for a formula to reach people. Uh, but here's the thing about this posture that we've assumed. It's a really damaging posture uh, because when, again, when people, when, 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 when people are a problem, then they become a project. They're no longer people. And when people are a project 
and you approach people as a project, especially secular millennials, they know you're approaching them as a project. They can smell that thing a mile away. Millennials have been advertised to more than any other generation before them. Millennials and Zeds, right? They've been advertised to so much they can smell a sales pitch from a mile away. And when you when you look at them or you approach them with the posture of, you know, you're a project, they, they'll sniff that thing right away. And so I've actually begun asking, like, what if the culture's aversion to Christianity wasn't really a problem? What if it's actually an opportunity, right? What if we slowed down and stopped trying to find the key or the secret to reach the culture? And instead, we sat down with it and we just enjoyed it. And we inhaled its its fragrance. We appreciated its questions. We we felt its despair. We we learned to sing its songs and speak its language and dance according to its rhythm. Like, what if we admired them with so much sincerity and authenticity that they actually welcomed us into their family? And so, this is pretty much the approach that I've begun to take. And uh, even when, you know, when I give Bible studies, I tell, I tell people, I'm not here as your guru. I'm not here to give you all the answers. I'm here to journey with you. We're, we're going to travel together on this path. And what that means is that throughout this journey, I want to learn from you. And, and I'm going to share my stories and my experience with God and my faith and, and I want you to learn from me, but I, this, I want this to be like a mutual experience where we can actually celebrate beauty together in our lives. And what that does is people then realize, oh, so like you're actually interested in me. You're interested in my story. You're interested in my perspective. You're interested in my beliefs. And, and there's a sense in which now there's a mutuality, there's a respect, there's a, there's a connection that's profound because it's no longer a top-down relationship, teacher to student, but it's a mutual relationship, fellow travelers, and you're traveling together. And so this approach is, is an approach that I have found to be really, really meaningful and connected with secular people. And really, honestly, I love it. I just, it's such, so amazing for me to, to be able to study the Bible with someone and not feel like I'm, I'm, I'm the guru here. And um, sometimes I still study the Bible with people who, who have a religious background. And, um, you know, whether they be uh, people that I've met in church or, or people that, you know, someone in church has introduced me to, they'll have a religious background. I'll still study the Bible with people like that. And usually in those settings, there's, a, there's an assumption, there's, a, there's an agreed assumption that Marcus, you know, Pastor Marcus, you're going to be the teacher and I'm going to be the student. And I actually like, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really feel comfortable in those scenarios anymore because I, I want to journey with a person and I want to, I want to appreciate what it is they have to say. And, and this is huge because so many of us, and, and this is very deeply embedded in the history of not only Adventism, but Christianity as a whole, we want to be right. We want to be correct. And like we have the truth, right? And so the guy that I'm studying the Bible with, who's, who's you know, got a background in Buddhism, like he's just got a background in falsehood and error and, and deception 
and I don't want to learn from him because all he has is error, you know? And, and that's kind of like the attitude that we bring to it. And I'm telling you right now, if that's the attitude you bring to a Bible study with a secular person, I don't care what resource you have, it's not, you're not going to get far. You're not going to get far. You have to learn to appreciate like Paul did in Mars Hill. I find it fascinating how Paul walks into Mars Hill and he begins to present the gospel to these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And he says, hey, you know, I've been walking around your city and I saw your idols and there was this idol to the unknown God. And he's the one that I've come to proclaim to you today. And I find that fascinating because most of us in the church today would go up to the Epicurean and the Stoics and say, I've been walking around your city and I saw all these idols and I'm, I'm here to tell you those idols are sinful. You have to get rid of those idols and they're wrong and they shouldn't be there. And, and let me give you all the rules because if you keep these rules and you listen to me and you believe what I say and you accept what I say, then God's going to be happy with you, right? But that's not what Paul does. But that's what most of us would do. Because we're so intent on being right and we're so intent on being correct and we're so intent on pushing our particular brand of spirituality that really we become a threat to the culture. And I'm going to talk about that a bit when we get actually get into the whole theme of understanding the way secular people interact and interpret uh, traditional Christian approaches to evangelism. But again, you know, like this is what Paul does. And, and, and he doesn't just do that. He, he quotes one of their poets as well in, in, in this discourse. He, he, like it's interesting. He doesn't really quote the Bible. He summarizes biblical themes, but he doesn't quote the Bible. He, he points to their idols and he quotes a pagan poet. As though there's truth in what the pagan poet is saying. Because there is truth in what the pagan poet was saying. And Paul was appreciating the truth that had found its way into this community of people who hadn't received the direct revelation of God in Scripture, but nevertheless, truth has found, had found its way in there. And this is the way that we need to approach the culture when we're interacting with the culture, whether it, you know, whether the person you're interacting with is a, you know, postmodern critical theorist, and I've had those, and that's a bit tough, but you know, um, or or whether they're a, a secular Buddhist or um, whatever their might, you know, New Age, whatever their background might be, you have to come with the with the understanding, with the assumption that no matter who they are or where they are from. God's truth has found its way into their lives somewhere, and I want to find that and celebrate it with them instead of saying, hey, I've got all the truth and I've got all the answers. You just have to take everything I say and abandon everything you have because this is I'm, I'm the one with the truth here. You know, you, you got to let that go. That's never going to work with secular people. If you want if, if, like, if you're like, look, I insist on doing it this way, <laughs> then you know what? By all means, keep doing it that way, but don't try and reach secular folk, all right? It's not going to work. Um, now, I have had some people say to me, hey, you know, I'm secular, and I was reached that way. And I'm like, amen, praise praise God, I'm, I'm glad you were reached. But let me make two things really, really clear. Um, number one, an anecdote of one person, because there's always one guy, you know, who's like, hey, but I came from a secular background and, you know, I was reached with, with this approach that you're saying doesn't work. And so uh, you're wrong. It works. It's like, well, it worked 
for you. Um, <laughs> but the general trend is it doesn't work for the vast majority of secular folk. And so we can't take one anecdote and say, all right, forget all the data, forget all the evidence, forget all the experiences. Let's just ignore all that. And uh, because the one guy, <laughs> uh, it worked for him. But also, we, we also have to understand that secularism, come again, is very fragmented and it comes in many different flavors and colors. And so, for example, if you're talking about a secular, a modern secularist, uh, a modern secularist, uh, we're going back here to like the period of modernity. And there's a lot of secularism in the period of modernity. And in, in the period of modernity, the simplest way to define it is this is the period where religion was replaced by science as the source of absolute truth. So you had pre-modernity where religion was the source of absolute truth. And you had modernity where science replaced religion as the source of absolute truth. And so in both of these systems, absolute truth exists. What changes is the source. But in post-modernity, the source of absolute truth doesn't change. Absolute truth itself changes. In post-modernity, there is no absolute truth. And so someone who has been impacted by modernist constructs and categories can still potentially be reached through argumentation and evidence and, you know, that type of thing, because they're still thinking in categories of absolute truth. And so if you manage to convince them and hammer them over the head hard enough and they're like, oh, yeah, you make a good argument, then they may just be willing to abandon their previous belief system and adopt this new one. But postmodern secularism is a whole different monster because in postmodernity, there's the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And your truth is your truth is my truth is my truth. And so if you come at me with argumentation and coercive and, you know, kind of like, hey, I've got the truth and you don't, then it's over, man. It is over. That might potentially work with a modern secularist. But it won't work with a postmodern or metamodern secularist. And, you know, this it's changing. It's transitioning. Because postmodernism is actually old, just in case, um, <laughs> in case you weren't aware. It's old. It's dated. There's a lot of contending, um, a lot of contending or, or competing ideologies that are, are taking its place. Um, I don't have time to get into that on this episode, but we, we can potentially talk about that in a future episode. But yeah, postmodernism, in many ways, postmodernism is dead. The only reason why I use postmodernism, you know, postmodern Adventist evangelist, postmodern outreach group, and I talk about postmodernism a whole lot, you know, how to study the Bible with postmoderns, the ebook on my page, which by the way, if you have not read that ebook and you're interested in this topic, go to the storychurchproject.com slash start. So that's the storychurchproject.com slash start. And download the ebook. It's free, all right? Because that ebook is absolutely key to this whole conversation. Um, and it's not very long. You can read it, How to Study the Bible with Postmoderns. But anyways, the reason why I use the phrase postmoderns is because Adventists are usually like 20 years behind everybody else. And, you know, like the world has moved on from postmodernism. But if I write a book called How to Study the Bible with Costmodernists or with Digimodernists or with Metamodernists, then, you know, most Adventists would be like, Huh? <laughs> They won't even bother reading it. They're like, "What? Who is this wise guy? What is he? What is he on about?" So I, I had to use language that unfortunately is dated outside of our community, but is nevertheless um, where people are within our community. So there you go. Um, I don't remember how I got onto that, but let me go ahead and wrap this episode up. In this approach that I've been discussing, the mind of the secular man 
is not a problem to be solved. And I'm borrowing the words of Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard here. Uh, he was talking about something totally different. I'm just going to appropriate it here. Not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. All right. So that's a, a Kierkegaard um, statement that had to do with something totally different. But anyways, it works here. So the secular mind, the secular mind. Here's the thing. The secular mind. I want you to understand this. I want you to appreciate this. I want you to embrace this. It is not a problem to be solved. It is a reality to be experienced, right? Enter into relationship with this mind. Learn to listen to it. Observe its color. Taste its flavors, right? Don't be obsessed with proving it wrong or with stamping your convictions onto it so that this contact can emerge a parrot of Adventist orthodoxy. No, learn to experience it, to, 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 to do life with this person, to belong with this person, to explore together. And, and as you have this mutual dance with each other, Jesus in this space, Jesus shines the brightest. And in my experience, this means a lot of inner work, guys. It means a lot of self-development because you have to adapt and contextualize in ways that are going to make you uncomfortable. But you have to do it in order to be meaningful to this particular demographic. And you don't want to lose the truth, but you want to reframe it in a meaningful way. But you can't reframe it if you, if you don't understand the secular mind. And you can't understand the secular mind if you're just trying to prove it wrong. All right. Absolute key. One of the biggest lessons, most important lessons I ever learned. I don't even remember where I learned it. One of the most important lessons I ever learned about understanding people and understanding culture. You cannot pick up a book on why postmodernism is wrong and then claim you understand postmodernism. If you want to understand postmodernism, you have to read the book about why postmodernism is right. Because the only way to truly understand someone, the only way to truly understand someone is to defend what they believe as though you believed it, even if you don't believe it. Anyone can read somebody else's worldview and find out why it's wrong and attack all the wrong points. You don't understand them, though. If you really want to understand someone, don't try and go straight to why are they wrong. You have to learn to appreciate what they're saying. You have to see the beauty in it. You have to see the color in it. You have to see the rhythm in it. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. And that's fine, right? No one's saying that you need to change your beliefs. But you have to learn to appreciate what it is that this other person is saying. You have to learn to appreciate the worldview that they bring to the table, and then once you appreciate it and you can celebrate it and you can defend it, even though you don't believe it, but you can still, you can stand there and you can, you can defend it as though you did. Once you're at that place, that's when you understand someone. And that's when you're ready to contextualize and speak meaningfully with the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, I'm going to start wrapping things up because this was just a, sort of an introduction, an introduction. Um, but with all this said, you know, some people are still kind of like, hey, you know, why, why approach the secular mind this way? You know, like what's wrong with the traditional doctrinal approach that Adventists have been mastering for decades? You know, what is so bad about just preaching the old truths, proclaiming the straight testimony and sounding the midnight cry or telling the old, old story? Well, apart from the fact that I don't know anyone who understands any of those phrases, except people who are already Adventists. The question itself betrays 
a severe lack of connection, interaction, and understanding with the secular mind. And so, like I said, in upcoming episodes, I'm going to dig into this a bit more. If you can't wait, if you're like, oh, I cannot wait, I must know more right now, then you can click the link uh, to the blog um, that I wrote for the Compass Magazine. And uh, you can read ahead there. But when I actually sit down and record the podcast episode, you know, I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail and expand. So you might want to wait for the podcast episode. I don't know. Up to you. You're, uh, you're a autonomous moral agent. You can decide. But for now, I want to stop there and just kind of summarize what I've been sharing today. And, and that's really the bottom line that that undergirds effective secular outreach. And it is to see the secular mind as something joyful to experience with all of its ideas and all of its perspectives that you and I disagree with as biblical Christians. There is still beauty and truth there to celebrate. And if we approach secular people from the angle of a fellow traveler, hey, you've been traveling along this road, I'm traveling along this road, you've picked up some nuggets of truth, I've picked up some nuggets of truth. Let's come together. Let me show you what God has done in my life and what I've learned in scripture. And, and you know, what has God revealed in your life? Let's go on this journey together. And hey, well, here's the spot that we've arrived at where, you know, something that uh, our value structure or something that you held dear is, is conflicting with scripture. Well, let's, let's, let's wrestle through that, right? Let's, let's not debate or, or argue about it, but let's, let's wrestle through that and let's see what we can both learn through that journey and through that process. This is an approach that is significantly more effective and more humble, really. I would actually add more Christ-like when it comes to reaching people. So I'm going to stop there. And when we come back, I want to uh, take some time in the next episode to talk about the absurdity of life. The absurdity of life is a perspective that goes back to the old existentialists, uh, guys like Sartre and Albert Camus, or Camus. I don't know. It depends who you're talking to, right? The guy was French, so who knows? <laughs> um, but I believe the more usual pronunciation is Albert Camus. Um, existentialists um, who really tr uh, really aimed or oriented themselves toward questions of life and meaning and existence. Uh, and this perspective of absurdity became really central to their understanding of life and reality. And it still undergirds a lot of secularism today. So we're going to talk about that um, and, and a few other things as we aim to get at least a general baseline for appreciating the secular mind. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Thank you for uh, stopping in. Thank you for listening. I hope this was awesome. Would love to hear your thoughts. Send me a message. Send me an email. Post a comment. Uh, wherever, you know. Uh, I would love to hear what you're thinking and uh, uh, any questions that you have about ministry to secular culture. All right, I'm going to end it there. Take care and God bless. And I will catch you next week.